I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. This week, we teamed up with our friends, Bethann and Leah from She Will Rock You to present the story behind four short-lived but iconic girl groups. This was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Shanti took inspiration from her name to give us the story behind the 1950s group, The Chantels. I'll be bringing you back to 60s Laurel Canyon with the GTOs. Leah shares the story of 90s alt rockers, four non-blondes, and Bethann has us reliving our teen years with Tattoo. Yep, she really does. Make sure you check out She Will Rock You if you haven't already. They not only educate on some of music's biggest names, but they also interview and promote new artists you'll be wanting to put on your playlists. This is our second crossover with Bethann and Leah, and you can listen to our first by checking the show notes. Enjoy the episode! Hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello. Nice to see you guys again. It's been a while. We've been yes. wanting to do this again for so long. Finally, the time has come. Yes. Very excited about this. Well, nice to see you. What were you saying? It was like it's almost exactly six months. I was looking back yeah. and the last one was it came out on September 3rd. We'll have to keep it up. We'll have to like keep it a tradition. Though. Yeah, oh, I love that. That would be great. It feels like just yesterday, but also a lifetime ago. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I was like, I, would, I could have sworn it was like last March. Yeah, 2020 yeah. has skewed the timeline, and I'm not fully convinced we didn't go into a different parallel universe. Time so. has no meaning. Yeah. It's true. That was a long year. A very long year. It's, yeah, it was, we're out of it. Yeah. We're out of it. 2021. Seems but to be we're going to okay. go back in time with this episode. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah, we are. 
Back yeah, take days. me back to a different time. Well, we decided for this episode to pick a theme. And I think because I think links, you said, hey, I think I'm going to do this group. I said, why don't we just do girl groups? Great idea. Why not? I chose a girl group that I didn't know anything about and chose simply because we share a name. Which <laughs> I is appreciate the that. Chantels, and it's spelled the exact same way. So I figured there are many reasons why we should all know this band, but I, I chose it out of vanity. <laughs> That's a great reason. I say it's meant to be. It came across your path. The Chantels matched up. It's you were meant. It's on our podcast, as we call the site. Yes. It's a, it's a sign from the universe that, hey, this is your direction. Yes. Exactly. And I don't know anything about them, so... Me neither. And, well, you did know, actually, when I messaged you and I said, maybe I'll do the Chantels, and then you were like, maybe? maybe. <laughs> so at least you knew that that was one of their hit songs, which is, is. more than yeah. I'm sure many people might know. I love that song. It's a great song. The Chantels were one of the first female R&B vocal groups to have nationwide success. So they're not just, you know, a girl group that happens to share my own name. They really accomplished a lot of really great and notable things. They were considered by many to have been one of the best girl groups because of their singing and songwriting abilities. They were active between the years of 1957 to 1962 in terms of recording albums together as a group. Those three albums are We Are the Chantels, which came out in 1958, There's Our Song Again, 1961, and The Chantels on Tour, 1962. That's going to be the name of my tour when I go on. <laughs> <laughs> the, Chantels on the Chantels on Tour again yes. for the first time. Oh, I love it. So I'm going to tell you the names of the women or rather girls at the time in this group. And I was surprised because I guess when I thought of kind of 50s and 60s girl groups, sometimes you just think of I automatically think about the Ronettes and it's just three of them. Yeah. But there were actually five members hmm. of the Chantels. There was Arlene Smith, who was the lead. Lois Harris, who was the first tenor. Sonia Goring, who was the second tenor. Jackie Landry, the second alto, and Renee Minus. Well, they got the, divided they up into their... parts. First off, love for the tenor parts, the the lower voice ladies. I appreciate that. Are you a tenor? Well, I mean, they put me on tenor for the Hallelujah chorus in uh, by Handel Messiah in school. So, <laughs> yes, it can be argued. Shout out to the tenors. <laughs> got to leave it to a woman to do a man's job. That's yes. all I got to say. <laughs> exactly. Well, their journey, their musical journey began in their preteens while they were attending choir practice at St. Anthony de of Padua School in the Bronx. By 1957, they had been singing together for more than seven years. Wow. So unlike their male singers and male groups at the time, these girls weren't able to hang out on the streets practicing. So in 1957, much of the practice took place in the girls' locker room at their school, St. Anthony's. Arlene was a member of the girls' basketball team, and the group would sing after every game, even if they lost. They sang if they won. They sang if they lost. These girls were just always singing. <laughs> Their unique sound was rooted in the music of the church, 
and also influenced by the sounds of the boy groups that did sing on the street together uh, on the corners of the street of the Bronx. It's interesting because I never thought about that, like you just said, about like doo-wop groups and everything that were on the street. Yeah, you never see girl groups doing Mm -hmm. that. That's true. Never thought about that. Hmm. Yeah. Arlene was trained as a classical singer and had performed solo at Carnegie Hall when she was only 12 years old. Oh, damn. Yeah, damn. (laughs) All of the girls had sung in the choir where classical music was interspersed with Latin hymns. Their ages ranged between 13 and 16. I love it already because they're already like you can tell on the way to being prodigies. And it's like, no, we're going to make a band. (laughs) (laughs) Just unite it Mm -hmm. even further into something spectacular. And it was this mix of having this training of practicing all the time when and where they could having this amount of time spent together. You know, we always talk about that sound when you get like sisters or brothers in a band Mm -hmm. and there's like that blood the what's it called um harmonizing like yeah like blood harmonies Mm -hmm. but it's almost like if they grew up together from these like young ages too then their voices are growing into one another and i could imagine it would be something similar to sisters Mm -hmm. singing together the girls would eventually form the group And they would begin doing talent shows with the sequence and the crows at the PS60 Community Center and St. Augustine's Church. That year, their school team played St. Francis de Chantel. One of the girls suggested that they end their search for a group name by calling themselves the Chantels. They must have just thought, what a beautiful name. That's what I think every time I hear it. So so this Chantel was spelled C-H-A-N-T-E-L-L-E, but they changed it to C-H-A-N-T-E-L, my exact spelling. It was a great choice. Great choice. And then at the end of my little segment here, I'm going to tell you a little bit about St. Jane Francis de Chantel who has another Chantal spelling, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about that patron saint as well while we're at it. Awesome. Love it. Might as well. Not only did the group have a very strong vocal presence, one thing that really stood out was the writing ability of the lead singer, Arlene Smith. So there weren't a ton of girl groups in the mid-50s. Yeah. There were even fewer groups who composed and wrote their own music and wrote their own lyrics. What made them, yeah, so what made them special was this Arlene's ability to contribute both words and music and the combination of her classical and gospel background with simple yet poignant lyrics. And these made her very successful at the very young age of 16. Her first song is called He's Gone. And that was written about a boyfriend just while she was practicing the piano. The Chantels began their journey to stardom in 1956 by a chance meeting with Richard Barrett. Richard was the lead singer of the Valentines, and they had met him on New York's famed Broadway. Legend has it that the Chantels were on the second floor of the Broadway building on Broadway and 53rd when the Valentines passed underneath the window. 
the girls recognized them and went downstairs to ask for autographs. During the conversation, of course, the Valentines would come to learn that these girls were a singing group. So Richard Barrett, who was the producer, writer, and arranger for and the Valentine's lead, asked them to sing for him right then and there on the spot under the Broadway theater marquee. Oh, my gosh. Magical. He was. Yes. Yeah. You want to audition right here, right now? <laughs> you got the job. That's <laughs> Just written out of a movie. I'd love to see this movie. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> take take notes, Hollywood. So excited. <laughs> he was blown away, of course, by the sound of the girls singing a hymn. So that's what they chose. They chose to sing a hymn for him. But he knew that these girls were meant to sing rhythm and blues. And so he took their phone number. So T. Barrett recorded the Chantels on George Goldner's end record label. He's Gone, backed by The Plea, were released in 1957. So here's some some cool stuff about this band. If this isn't already cool enough, he's gone instantly set a new standard of quality for female group recording. By September 30th, the record was on the Billboard National Top 100 charts, um, but it stopped at number 71 just for no particular reason. It just Mm -hmm. stopped at 71. The record charted uh, only seven weeks after the Bobettes hit the top 100 with their first release of Mr. Lee. Ironically, the two these two trend-setting groups of the 50s only lived a few miles apart. I don't know if that's actually ironically. Like, that actually probably makes sense. They grew yeah. up in a similar environment, right time, right place. And then the next release, which was Maybe, became a major hit all across the nation, and it made the Chantelles stars. Here's another cool thing about them. The Chantelles were also credited with recording the first extended Play 45 RPM record. So essentially, they were the first girl group to record an EP. Whoa. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. cool. That's so cool. And then they recorded a second EP. So they were pioneers, really. Well, because EPs weren't really a thing in the 50s yet. Like, it's not until we get to really the 60s and 70s that we start seeing them a little Mm -hmm. bit more. They began a series of nationwide tours with Alan Freed and Marie the K. Kaufman. They also appeared on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Although the Chantels were one of the first female vocal groups of the rock era to have an album released under their own name, they were dropped by end in April of 1959. That same year, George Goldner's record company folded, and so the original singer Arlene Smith struck out on her own, She Went Solo. The Chantels did keep moving forward and in 1962 released what was to become the group's highest charting record, Look In My Eyes, on the Carlton label and Annette uh, on lead under the direction of Richard Barrett. So he stayed with them as well. Mm -hmm. This was followed by the uptempo Well I Told You, which was a top 20 hit with Barrett on lead. And it was actually the answer to Ray Charles's Hit the Road, Jack. In recent years, and I'm saying like, 2000s, 2010, 2011. You're telling me 2000s isn't recent anymore? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Especially if you start in 1957. Yeah, okay. That's true. (laughs) They toured and they played at the world-famous Apollo Theater, Radio City Music Hall, the Beacon Theater, the Terrytown Music Hall, and the Norfolk Music Center. Oh, as well as the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Nice. Nice. Yes. They were inducted into the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 2002. 
in that same year, they were inducted into the Bronx's Walk of Fame, where their name was officially posted on a street sign at the Bronx County Courthouse. Very cool. In 2001, they made the final ballot for induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but without enough votes for induction, unfortunately, which is bullshit, because we know that's all... It's all politics. It's all bullshit, anyways. We have our... I have my gripes about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's all politics. Yeah. Just like any other kind of award thing, definitely politics. I mean, when you think about all the amazing people who aren't Mm -hmm. in there, that should be... Yeah. Well, the big... Oh, sorry. People who are that maybe shouldn't or. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The biggest one that really always ticks me off is for Sister Rosetta Tharp, who is arguably the creator of rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They didn't induct her till like 2018. Isn't it an honorary induction? And it's an honorary induction. It's not even a real induction. And I'm just like, like, how? Here are all these people that she inspired and you're not going to honor like the creator of it. Okay. Nah. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Wow. I was very pleased to find out that the Chantels have an active website. Ooh. That's impressive. them. (laughs) It's a picture of, you know, four of them. Um, And it says, one of the things on their own website says, these extremely talented ladies are also featured in the celebrated Doo-Wop is Alive photo unveiled on February 3rd, 2000 at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. as a salute to the pioneers of the rhythm and blues and doo-wop. They were greeted as the sweethearts of the era. Aww. That's cute. You can, al- you can also purchase CDs and t-shirts from their website, which Ooh. I might... I mean, I think you need I need one. a t-shirt that says the Chantels. Yeah. You need one. Oh, for sure. For sure. Quickly, I'm going to tell you about who St. Jane Francis de Chantel is. The invoked patron of forgotten people, widows and parents who are separated from their children. So I like this. When people criticized her for accepting women of poor health and like old age into her like home and or convent or mm-hmm. whatever it was, Chantel famously said, what do you want me to do? I like I like sick people myself. I'm on their side. Oh, <laughs> I love that. So. If it was this Chantal that they were named after, she seemed pretty cool. And uh, I hope that, as always, giving a little bit of background on the pioneer of a certain kind of music genre, especially being a woman in this genre, inspires people to listen to their music, check them out, go on their website, buy a t-shirt. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many amazing girl groups back then that did maybe only have one or two hits and yeah so therefore they're just less remembered as opposed to like the ronettes or someone like the supremes right yeah but they were still so pivotal and important and helped pave the way for those artists yeah absolutely yeah for sure that was great thank you very much look at their website they're just adorable oh my gosh yes this website is awesome Sorry, she oh, pulled the up the website. website. Isn't it, we have two isn't computers going. So. Yeah. That's adorable. <laughs> oh, I love them. I love the changing photo behind them. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's legit. I love it so much. <laughs> it hasn't been updated since 2012. But I, I, I can tell by the web design, but I'll forgive them. I love the mirrored reflection, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Everyone adorable. has to check out the website. Yes. Theshantels.com. It's the Chantels.com. Keep it simple. 
You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. I guess I'm next. You're next. Yes. We're going in chronological order. Going in order here. I'm going to take us about a decade up from the Chantels into the late 1960s. I'm going to cover the GTOs. And they're very interesting as a group because they're sort of a performance art girl group mm-hmm. that had an album. Um, I'm going to go through each member one by one at the end. Uh, I'm going to talk about them all as a whole. Um, but I guess I should mention, first of all, that Pamela Debar was probably the biggest star out of the group. Mm-hmm. And we've covered her many times. She wrote, I'm with the band. She's our mentor. We love her. And she brought us together. Really? That's how Links and I met was through Pamela. was oh, through that's GTO. So cool. So yeah. Cool. And we have multiple episodes on Pamela herself, but we've never talked about the GTOs as a whole. So I really wanted to pay tribute to them because they were amazing. That's so awesome. Yeah. So in the late 60s, a group of seven beautiful rock and roll obsessed young ladies came together in Laurel Canyon and on the Sunset Strip, and they kind of formed their own little troupe. At first, they called themselves the Laurel Canyon Ballet Company until their friend and musical mentor genius, Frank Zappa, suggested that they change it to the GTOs. And the GTOs stands for Girls Together Outrageously, but they also liked playing around with the name. So it could be Girls Together Only, Girls Together Outlandishly, Openly, Overtly. There's Mm -hmm. just endless possibilities there, and they like to play around with that. So one of the things that the GTOs had in common was their great passion for music and the men who made it. (laughs) (laughs) So they were actually a groupie dance troupe. And they became pretty well known around the Laurel Canyon and Sunset Strip scene for their outrageous vintage outfits, their wild and free dancing. 
they go to all the shows, the doors, Zeppelin, Zappa, and just dance their hearts out. And after a while, people were like, oh, my God, who are these amazing women? It was more about them than it was about the guys on stage, right? Their creativity attracted all kinds of people, all kinds of musicians in the scene. And if you look at their photographs from that time, you can really tell how much they inspired so many bands that were to come out that had like a visual look to them, such as Kiss and Alice Cooper was hugely inspired by them. They were actually the ones who put Alice Cooper in makeup and his band. So they actually made his look for him, basically. And credit to Alice Cooper in his biography. You can check out his documentary. He does credit them. That's so great. Yeah, exactly. And of course, another person who was really fascinated by them was Frank Zappa. And they really spent a lot of time in Laurel Canyon at his cabin. And two of the GTOs actually became nannies for him over the years for Frank's kids. So he really loved their spirit. He saw a lot of talent there and really encouraged them to dig deep. He was telling them, you should be writing, creating, performing, Like you have something here, you have a spark, do something with it. So they really banded together and started writing and they performed together on stage as a group a handful of times, most notably in 1968 at the Shrine Auditorium. They opened for Alice Cooper and Zappa on the Mothers of Invention. And people really loved their groupy feminist performance art rock kind of thing. And Zappa thought, you know what? There's enough here to make an album. We should get these girls into the studio and see what we can do here. They were really encouraged by him to write and share their ideas. He really wanted their spirit to be a part of this album. He didn't want it to be like his album. It's their album. In 1969, that album was released. It was called Permanent Damage. And it's an interesting album because it features both spoken word pieces Mm -hmm. and performance pieces and original songs so there's i think 17 tracks on the album and the lyrics are like as wild and out there as their outfits are Mm -hmm. i can see shanti going yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) man yes exactly the most famous out of the gto's pamela in her book she said i wanted to ignite people's imaginations and make life a playground And I feel like that's exactly what they did with this album. I love that. Um, I'll give you a sampling of some title songs. As Shanti just said, I'm in love with the ooh, ooh, man. (laughs) Circular circulation. I have a paintbrush in my hand to color a triangle. (laughs) That's a great title. Yes. The Eureka Springs Garbage Lady. (laughs) (laughs) Just very interesting. I mean, you can tell it's the 60s. You can tell they're, um, I guess, having fun with some drugs. and Definitely. They're letting their imaginations go wild. They also have a track on it called Rodney, which is, of course, a tribute to Rodney Bingenheimer. Nice. They recorded with Zappa in his studio. And since Frank was such an inspiration to so many other musicians at the time as well, a lot of people would come over to his house and just to hang out and, you know, mess around in the studio. So there's a lot of guest artists on this album, such as Rod Stewart. 
Wow. Davy Jones. Wow. Jeff Beck. All help out on this album. That's Cynthia crazy. Plastercaster, another famous groupie. <laughs> they were also attracting other attention, of course. In 1969, they caught the eye of Rolling Stone and photographer Baron Woolman, mm. who featured them prominently in Rolling Stone's groupie issue. Which also shows you just how prevalent they were. I have never, first off, I didn't know they had a groupie issue back in the 60s, but it also sounds amazing. Awesome. And yeah, that's the thing. Like these women weren't groupie, the term groupie, as we know, kind of got muddled over time, but they were stars. Everyone wanted to meet them. It wasn't like they were chasing after musicians. The musicians were like, whoa, who are these women? I want to chase them. Right. I love that. Right. And yeah, photographers wanted to photograph them. Everyone wanted to know about them and what their scene was like. So they really got a lot of attention. But unfortunately, within a year or so, they kind of disbanded, mostly because a lot of them had to issues with drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, they were also so young and like meeting people They moved around a lot. It just wasn't the right time I guess for them and Frank Zappa as we know wasn't really into drugs and everything so he didn't want to pursue a working relationship with them unless they were all clean I guess and that just wasn't the right moment for a lot of these people and yeah we're not saying just like you know some pot and like the occasional acid like there there were some heavier things going on right like oh absolutely heroin and (laughs) um the heavy yeah, hitters. more intense and, stuff. And of course, like, that's where his kids live and everything, the studio. And he just didn't want that to be around. And I guess sure. he, he probably saw how that destroys relationships, careers. And by telling them, like, no, he was probably trying to help them be like, you don't need that in your life. Like, yeah. do this. But they kind of disbanded and they each went off on their own way. So I'm going to tell you a, li- a little bit about each member now and what sort of happened to them after the GTOs disbanded. So first there was Miss Christine. She was born Christine Ann Furka. It's F-R-K-A. Furka. They need a vowel in there. It's kind of hard with a vowel, so I think <laughs> right. good. End. I'd like to buy a vowel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Christine was born in 1949. She was actually the original nanny for Frank and Gil Zappa for their daughter, Moon Unit. Great names here. Oh, yeah. Moon Unit. Yeah. Christine is also the muse on the front cover of Frank Zappa's 1969 album, Hot Rats. Okay. She also dated Alice Cooper. So she was very influential in his world at the time when he was building his band. And of course brought all those girls into that scene as well. After Alice Cooper, she also dated Todd Rundgren and Sparks frontman Russell Mayall. Sadly, Miss Christine ended up passing away just before her 23rd birthday in November of 1972. Holy cow. Yeah. Next, there is Miss Lucy. She was born in Puerto Rico and... She can be seen in three of Frank Zappa's films, 200 Motels, Video from Hell, and Uncle Meat. I've only seen 200 Motels, but 
I want to see all of these just because of the titles. Uncle, Uncle Meat. Meat is just perfect. <laughs> that should be a band name. And I'm like, just like a hardcore band name. And I'm gonna be very disappointed if I find out there's not one name. Uncle right. Meat. I, like, I'm surprised there isn't because it's just I'm going to start perfect. a folk band. Called Uncle Meat. Uncle <laughs> Meat. I'm gonna, yeah. Banjo band. <laughs> <laughs> I could easily see it working for that as well. Yep. Yeah. So Lucy ended up marrying bass player Gordon McLaren, and he was in a band actually called The Groupies. Oh. <laughs> right? Perfect Meta. match. Uh, she was married to him from 1971 to 1981. Uh, unfortunately, Lucy has also passed away. She died in 1991. Oh. Next, there's Miss Sandra. She was born Sandra Lynn Rowe in 1949. She's probably best known as the pregnant GTO. She had a big <laughs> belly on display in the GTO's publicity photos for the album, and she had a big black star in the center of her belly Hell and yeah. around her eyes, again, with Kiss, right? That's mm-hmm. obviously a heavily influenced Kiss. Sandra lived in the Zappa house, and the father of her child was Frank Zappa's artist in residence. His name was Cal Schenkel. After the GTOs broke up, she went on to marry and she had three more kids. She also passed away in 1991 from cancer. That's so sad. <laughs> yes. There's a, there's a lot of that in this, unfortunately. Next, I have Miss Cinderella. She was born Cynthia Sue Wells in 1952. She was the youngest member of the GTOs. In 1971, after they disbanded, she ended up marrying musician John Kill who is best known, I guess, from the Velvet Underground. And he also produced a lot of people like Patti Smith and Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. They divorced a few years later, uh, around 1975, and he wrote a song about her called Guts. Um, I think she cheated on him with another musician, and he wrote about it in the song and put it out. Cynthia ended up passing away in 1997. Yeah. Now we're going to go on to Miss Mercy. She was born, right? I know. She was born Judith Era Peters in 1949. She was actually on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine in February 27th uh, of 1968. One of the first issues ever, I believe. She was described as by Alice Cooper as a gypsy and the Mae West of the group. So put a gypsy and Mae West into one (laughs) perfect description of Miss Mercy. She was also best known, I guess, for her coal black raccoon eyes that she would do. Very heavy on the lid. I guess one of the first I can actually think of who did that. That became Mm -hmm. a look later. But she was definitely Mm -hmm. one of the first. She was married to singer-songwriter Shuggy Otis. He did Strawberry Letter 23, if you guys know that song. Okay. Probably his most famous. And they had one son together named Lucky. So Mercy had a really wild life filled with drugs and rock and roll and musicians. And after leaving Laurel Canyon, she married Shuggy and she really became a part of this R&B scene around Stax Records and that sort of life. In the late 90s, that's when she started to get clean finally and really started a new path for herself. Mercy and Pamela were actually best friends until the very end mercy sadly passed away last summer actually oh no yeah 
but she left a gift for us all in the form of a memoir. Her oh, book is going to be named Permanent Damage after the GTO <laughs> album, and it's set to be released in June of this year. I just got oh, goosebumps. Great. Yeah, I'm so pumped for this book. She had a crazy life, and I'm sure we'll do like a whole episode on her mm-hmm. yeah. when it comes out. But yeah, she's fantastic, and I'm so glad she got to write her memoir before she left us. Yeah, absolutely. So I got two more to go here. We have Miss Sparky. She was born Linda Sue Parker in 1948. So her and her fellow GTO, Miss Pamela, they attended high school together. Sparky was best known for driving her Hudson Hornet up and down the Sunset Strip in the late 60s. And of course, she'd have all the GTOs in the back and their getups just hollering at people out (laughs) on the street and, you know, causing a scene wherever they went. She provided vocals and sound effects for Zappa's 1976 album, Zoot Allures. And Sparky is still alive, but she's a very private person and enjoys her private life. So that's all I'm going to say about her. (laughs) Last but not least, Pamela DeBar, Miss Pamela. She was born Pamela Miller in 1969. She is a very successful writer. She has six books now. Wow. Uh, Her first, of course, being the bestseller, I'm With the Band, in which she shares her coming-of-age story, being a groupie in the 60s and the 70s. She's had relationships with musicians such as Jimmy Page, Keith Moon, Noel Redding, Jim Morrison, Chris Hillman, Graham Parsons, Will and Jennings. She's just tops. She's tops. And of course, she was married to singer, songwriter, and actor Michael DeBar. They had one son together. She's probably known as the world's most famous groupie. She's worked hard over the decades to eliminate the stigma Mm-hmm. around what it means to be a groupie and owning your sexuality. Yeah. She's, like I said, Shanti and Mai's mentor. She now does writing workshops. She travels all over. I've been going for around 10 years now, and it's honestly one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. I've met so many incredible women throughout this That's experience, so awesome. like Shanti. And if she's ever coming to your city I highly recommend. Oh, yeah. If she's coming to Virginia, (laughs) I'm definitely wanting to go meet her. She seems incredible. She's amazing. And the women that flock to her are all just brilliant, talented. It's it's insane the amount of talent in these classes and and in the community. It's just it's mind blowing. Yeah. Um, Before we ended the GTO part, I just wanted to say I got most of this information from Pamela's book. I'm with the band. And our other good friend, Lucretia Ty Jasmine, she wrote a piece on the GTOs in a fantastic book called Women Who Rock, Bessie to Beyonce, Girl Groups to Riot Girl. And like I said, we have interviews with both Pamela and the editor of the Women Who Rock book, Evelyn McDonald, on our podcast. So if anyone wants to know more about those, you can check them out there. Awesome. Awesome. Amazing. I love hearing about the GTOs. Even though I know the story, I'm just, (laughs) I love hearing it. Yeah. I love how much they owned them. Like just, they wanted to have fun. They wanted to be free and they were young and causing a scene everywhere. I can just, I can so picture them. So yeah, um, I just wanted to pay tribute to them. They might have only put out one album. It's very hard to find now, but if you can get it you can find their music on youtube though for anyone who's interested awesome gotta and love the internet yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of those women are it's so definitely amazing experimental that's like, okay you yeah it's not um 
let's just say they they weren't classically trained Chantels. <laughs> they were a performance art group. They were performance well, art group. Considering Poppy just released a whole album, Music to Scream To, I, I, I think I could handle it. <laughs> yeah. And it's very of its time. Like, I'm so happy that Zappa was smart enough to capture, like, that moment in history. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. really smart like that. There, there, there's only one GTOs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's only one Laurel Canyon in the sixties and he captured that perfectly. So it is a fascinating piece of music history. Definitely. I awesome. love it. It was awesome. Great job, Langs. Thank you. You guys definitely had a theme across your two topics. We have a theme across our two topics to be revealed. We're going to change gears here in a whole different lane. Still a girl group lane. We're fast forwarding to 1990 and talking about four non-blondes. Take me there. Love it. Uh, So the year is 1990. Grunge is a thing. The California scene has a very distinct vibe. And these four girls kind of said, fuck the vibe. We're doing what we want and we're making a lesbian band. Uh, So they formed the band and we have Linda Perry on lead vocals and rhythm guitar Shauna Hall on lead guitar, Christina Hillhouse on bass, and Wanda Day on drums. And so these four ladies, I don't know where I was going with that sentence. I want to start with pointing out before we even get started that the internet does not like this band name. They hate it. Every resource I found has, I don't know why, but they're like open message boards that let people comment on stuff like... Because it's, you know, the internet. And my favorite comment was, this is totally ambiguous. They might as well have called themselves four people who aren't wearing black sweatshirts. (laughs) (laughs) I felt that on me, too. (laughs) Um, So they named themselves four non-blondes because, like I said, there was a very distinct, like, California preppy culture at the time. And the four of them were just, like, hanging out on the street one day, just vibing. And Christina Hillhouse said, right next to us, there was a trash can with a piece of pizza on top. And this kid wanted to pick it up. And the mom said, no, it's probably dirty, what with all the pigeons and the people around here. And she stared right at us because we were (laughs) (laughs) non-blondes. As a non-blonde, I feel this. Yes. Um... So they named themselves that as kind of an anti-Californian stereotype, which people in 2021 don't get, apparently. Yeah. I think it's clever. <laughs> All that aside, uh, they started in San Francisco, like I said, in, in around 1990, and they gained traction at a time when record companies were looking for authentic female rockers who could kind of cross over into that pop bubble. Um, they... they kind of just started up touring the San Francisco bar scene, specifically lesbian bars, because they are all lesbians. And unsurprisingly, most of their followers were also lesbians. Uh, They eventually landed a record deal, and their first rehearsal was supposed to be at 6.10 p.m. on October 17th, 1989. But shortly after 5 o'clock, the Loma Prieta earthquake hit the San Francisco area and they weren't able to have band practice. (laughs) 
You know, it'd been more punk if they would have still had band practice in it. I'm a little disappointed at this point. <laughs> it should probably have been a sign that their band was not going to last very long, but we'll get there in a yeah. minute. So, in 1992, they're recording their one and only album, Bigger, Better, Faster, More. Hmm. And the album's producer, whose name is David Tickle. <laughs> Tickle? Tickle. Mr. Tickle. Mr. Tickle. He decided that their guitar player was not happening. And so he fired her. Oh, wow. And replaced her with a man. Uh, what? Yes. You can't afford non blonde. No. He's not blonde, but he's only in the band for this album. Like, he never tours with them and never does anything after this album. Okay. But. They replaced him with another man, so this kind of bends the girl group thing a little bit, but whatever. Uh, And like I said, they only have one album, and it contains their best-known song, What's Up, which is why I chose this, because it was viral on TikTok for a hot second over the summer. Mm. Um, It was? I missed that. Yeah, people would like film themselves getting out of bed, and then just going outside and screaming, uh, <laughs> over the what's going on part because yeah. let's be okay. real we all it, felt it is, fitting. It. it is fitting for the past year we all Makes felt sense. that last summer <laughs> um when linda perry was writing this song she just ad-libbed the lyrics they like flowed out of her and she kind of just had someone write it down and it it was what it was wow um she was very inspired by the political time climate of the time uh George H.W. Bush was president. She felt like she was always struggling. There was some kind of always some fucking political mess in the news. And she just kind of felt like, why is all this happening in the world? But there's no like direct lyrical reference to any of these things, which is what makes it so applicable in times like 2020 when we still have the same problems. Yeah. Have you guys ever done that song for karaoke? No. no, I cannot hit those notes. Like I can't even attempt to. My sister-in-law can. Ooh, that's impressive. Yeah. And Very all nice. of her three sisters, and I've done karaoke with all of them. Ooh, <laughs> that's impressive. I yeah. would never choose that song myself, but power to them. Um, and this song was the first ever top forty hit by an openly lesbian group. Uh, wow. interestingly, the Indigo Girls never got higher than fifty-two. Really? Yeah. That surprises me. Wow, yeah. Uh, Like I said, they're all open lesbians, and Linda Perry often performed with a sticker affix on her guitar that just said Dyke, which got her a lot of hate, but props to her for being loud and proud in 1993. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It it also got her a lot of hate after she performed on TV at the Billboard Music Awards and on Late Night with David Letterman. People suck. It's the 90s. It's, they still suck. I know. They probably, honestly, they were ahead of their time. If yeah, they had tried 100%. to make this band now, they would explode. Well, but. just think about all the queer artists that we have right now. They're just killing the scene. Like, absolutely slaying yeah, the scene. Yeah. You needed bands like yeah. Four Non Blondes. They set the stage, but I, I get the feeling they didn't quite agree as a creative team either. Yeah. Which is my next point. They disbanded in 1994. 
five years after they started. Uh, they had started recording their second album, but they never finished it, and none of that music ever saw the light of day. Mm. Uh, Linda Perry said that she kind of was unhappy with the process of Bigger, Better, Faster, More, which, yeah, when your producer fires your guitarist, yeah, it's not a great creative vibe going on in there. And she said that her sexuality actually had a huge part to play. She was, you know, a super out lesbian and had no problem being out. But the other two, Krista Hillhouse and Don Richardson, were less comfortable because it was the 90s, because people were really mean to them and really, you know, hateful to them. And they didn't like her being so upfront about it. And so they just all decided to go their separate ways. Uh, She went solo in 95 but she's had a much more successful songwriting career. She's written songs for Christina Aguilera, Alicia Keys, Pink, Gwen Stefani, Courtney Love, and Kelly Osbourne. She did form another band called Deep Dark Robot. Ooh. Which is Ooh. a great name. Uh, and she it came to her after she'd been writing all these songs for these, you know, top 40 artists. And she wrote them from really personal places and no one wanted to record them. So she just kind of said, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. Nice. And then last point on May 11th, 2014, the group actually reunited for one day to perform a benefit concert at a fundraiser to raise money for the LA gay and lesbian center that takes in kids who have been kicked out of their houses by their family. And that is the very short history of four non blondes. (laughs) That makes sense now. I don't know why. I, like, I only know the one song, of course. They kind of just have the one song. <laughs> and it's so good. But then, yeah, you never heard of them again. But I knew that Linda Perry, you know, writes for so many big artists. So I yeah, guess that makes sense now. Yeah. She's a really accomplished. They couldn't have continued on together, though. Yeah. I, I mean, none of our groups so far have had huge, like... Is- uh, we, the Chantels had three albums. Yeah. You know, GTOs had um, permanent One. damage. And then, yeah, so they, they were all really influential and really important for what they did, but they mm-hmm. didn't necessarily, necessarily have the longevity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also hate the album name, Bigger, Faster, More. What, what yeah. Is it? yeah. I don't even remember what it is, and I just read it off a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not it's not a good great, album name. It? No. I feel like that title was written by a man. Probably. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Bigger, bigger better, faster. Bigger, better, yeah, faster, more. <laughs> okay. It's Mr. Tickle's fault. Continuing on the theme. <laughs> the theme of lesbians. The theme of lesbians. I can't wait for this one. <laughs> okay. So before researching. Here's all my 2000 elementary school brain knew before. Knew the song All the Things She Said and Lesbians. And of course, I'm talking about Tattoo. Schoolgirls. Yes. (laughs) Making out. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So that's what I know. But it turns out, as I researched, very complex web uh, to this story that we somehow have to abridge. But like all wild. What is that? Uh, maybe they're not plot twist plot twist uh, uh. they're not lesbians well, they're not schoolgirls, and they're <laughs> not swedish damn it <laughs> episode over Take it away. <laughs> well like all wild stories 
we start with a man in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Ivan Sh- uh, Shapovalov. <laughs> Help me. Shapovalov. Shapovalov. Thank you. Shapovalov. I have a kind of a little bit of a speech impediment, so sometimes I have to look at her and be like, how do you pronounce it? <laughs> oh, names are always the worst. Yeah. Especially Russian names. Yeah. Especially also, Russian. Lings, I didn't want to say anything at the time, but was the album called Zutalor? That's French. Oh, it might have been. I think you said Zutalors. Zutalor is like fuck in French. Ooh. It's like I shit. Said allure. I'm going to write Zutalure. that one down. So that's like. What is it again? It's it's Zutalor. Zutalor is like. Zutalor? That makes it's French perfect Ooh. sense for Zappa. Thank yeah. you for that. I like that. <laughs> so, Ivan is wanting to form a teenage girl group in the 90s group boom. And he whittles it down to Lena Katina and Julia Volkova. Now, Lena and Julia do know each other from a kids group called Neposetti, which I'm assuming is like the Mickey Mouse Club of Russia. (laughs) That's really the only way that I can describe it. Um, But so he signs on the two girls and they start recording music in Russian. Um, But first, let's talk about their name, because that is really going to set up the story and where it's going to go. So tattoo, while sounding like tattoo in English, it's supposedly a shortened phrase in Russian called Taliobitu, which translates to this girl loves that girl. But it was selected by Ivan. So the wheels are turning. Why is Ivan choosing this name? I feel like Ivan is real creepy. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about Ivan. But I don't like him. That's that's the setup. So due to time, because we can just talk about how they started in Russia, went over to America. We're just going to jump right into it and talk about the song. Yes. Uh, the song in Russian, Yashola Seuma, was released in 2000, which translates to I've Lost My Mind. And it was written by an Elena Kuyper, which my brain has labeled her as the Russian Ellie Kemper from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. (laughs) Just thought I threw that in there, how my mind works. But um, she wrote the song about an experience that she had. She went to the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) She went to the dentist. She fell asleep at the dentist. And as she fell asleep... (laughs) I think we're all giving you the same look right now. We're all like, where is this going? Here we go. So when she fell asleep, she had a very scandalous dream for Russia, may I just say, where she kissed another girl. Mm. And she woke up out of that dream. And in the dentist's office, she says, Yoshola, whatever, I've lost my mind, is what it translates to. So that is how the song was written. Which... Dentist chair. Okay. Yeah. In a dentist chair. Uh, but of course, the lyrics are about a young girl trying to hide her feelings for another girl. Uh, this song uh, would go on to be released in America and UK and Canada with a new title, All the Things She Said. So let's talk about it. Because first off, I'm assuming everyone on this chat has seen the music video at some point in their life. I also have a story about this song. Oh, good. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> so couldn't get away from that video when it was on. No. It was like 
the video everyone was talking about at the time. As much as my Christian parents tried to shield me, <laughs> MTV it somehow was... made its way into my life. MTV was still showing music videos at that time. Yeah. <laughs> but essentially, for those who have not seen it, it is essentially singers Lena Katiana and Julia Volkova making out and people watching them behind a fence. And they're in Catholic schoolgirl clothes, just as a nice touch. Um, fun fact, it was actually filmed in Russian, like they were in Russian, and shot in Moscow, and then dubbed for English, huh. which I did not know. Um, as far as for the video, it is so controversial for 2000s. I mean, holy crap. Like, at first, it was banned in the UK, and of course, you know, Russia, um, as it promoted lesbianism dun 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 (laughs) (laughs) um so four non-blondes walked so that tattoo could run (laughs) (laughs) um another criticism was it promoted pedophilia because they were 17 at the time like i got news for you like if you don't think there's like teenage girls kissing i I have a I, I hate to break well, it to you. I had news for you. The yeah. thing that more promotes pedophilia was Ivan specifically looking for a teenage girl. Now that is correct. There it's are creepy. S- there's some truth to that. Uh, but then the song begins to tackle the charts internationally in countries like Australia, Germany, Italy, Japan, Norway, just to name a few. Um, I Sh- Chantel, I need Shanti. I need to know your fact about this song. Oh, okay. So, well, two things is one, I follow lots of 90s nostalgia accounts and like early 2000s yeah. uh, Don't we accounts. All? <laughs> and I saw the performance that Tattoo did at the MTV Awards or whatever it was mm-hmm. and had all the schoolgirls. But my actual, and I, and I went, oh, yes. But my actual story is that when my younger brother was in high school, the high school uh, installed a jukebox and he would get to the cafeteria in the cafeteria and so he would get to the cafeteria early at every lunch hour and and put enough money into the jukebox so that it played so that his pick played throughout the entire lunch hour oh. and he would put tattoos all the things she said on repeat for the entire lunch hour and then he'd stand in front of the jukebox machine and like nod his head that's pure chaotic neutral energy yes what's that that's pure chaotic neutral energy he's just like that's what happens when kids didn't have cell phones (laughs) who's installing jukeboxes in schools and thinks Mm -hmm. this is a good idea i wish my school had a jukebox yeah i do too look the jukebox was was jukes jukebox was gone the next year i I love that so much because there were teachers that had to like monitor this the the lunchroom right and it drove the shit like (laughs) that's drove everybody crazy amazing drove everybody out of their minds if you will so uh, they got rid of the jukebox incredible because of my younger brother's obsession with tattoo (laughs) i love that so much now imagine if that was spotify they would have made a shit ton of change off of your brother (laughs) Uh, well at this point getting to our story they're just becoming a sensation and of course late night tv takes notice so in an article from junkie that i read they talk about an event where the duo went on the late night talk show with Jay Leno. But of course, this is 2003 and they get pulled aside and they said, hey, tone down the lesbian. 
Oh, and don't talk about the war. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what did I do? Both of those things. Correct. <laughs> they wear matching shirts in Russian, so us Americans don't know, which is smart because we don't have the energy to go look up things. Um, but it roughly translates to fuck the war. Mm-hmm. And in between, por- p- p- yeah, the, in between performances, they make up behind a hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so while this duo is on top of the world, it is around this time, around late 2003, where everything starts to change. A Russian TV documentary comes out called Anatomy of Tattoo, and it drops these two bombshells. One, they're not actually lesbians. <gasps> two, one of them's pregnant. So at first, the band denies it, but it's 100% true. So let's go back to our friend slash comrade, Ivan. Ivan, (laughs) you have to say for yourself. So you see, when Ivan recruited the two members, there was supposedly a contract. And to loose paraphrase it, it said, you are now lesbians. And (laughs) what the heck? (laughs) And basically... For the next few years, they're told what to say, how to act. It's just all a show. And this is because Ivan and his business partner had thought of Tattoo after watching a Swiss movie about two schoolgirls who fall in love, which we see in all the things she said. We see that influence there. Running through my head, running through my head, running through my head. So, as you can imagine... This has torn up some fans in the LGBTQ community, especially in Russia. Now, I read several articles from different music magazines, all of which were written by queer artists as they recounted hearing the song and feeling like they were understood. I also read a blog from a Russian author that said, quote, all the songs perfectly depict the condition of a gay teenager uh, raising in a homophobic society. And this was after the author spoke about the gay propaganda law that passed in Russia in 2013. So it's, it's an interesting thing because at one hand, I see how they really helped a lot of people struggling with their identity, mm-hmm. you know, find acceptance. Yep. On the other hand, I think in today's standards, they would be viewed as co-opting queerness for a cash grab. Yeah, And I think both points are absolutely valid in my opinion. But we cannot deny, like I said, that song helped a lot of people in the LGBTQ world, including Russia. Um, So what happened to the duo? Well, they did five albums total. Wow. They did the most albums out of anybody. (laughs) I mean, none of them are really well known. They're kind of just there. But from 2001 to 2009, the duo split in 2011 and each of them went to go do solo work. So let's talk about each of them real quick. Starting with Lena Katina. Now, she does some pride work and plays at different pride events, which is awesome. In 2007, she helped with a pride parade in Moscow before the gay propaganda law went into place. We're okay with Lena. Still mad she faked being a lesbian, though, but at least she's throwing lots of support to the community. And, you know, that's all I can say. She's trying. She's trying. Julia, on the other hand. I'm just going to say this. 
in 2014, she is invited onto a Ukrainian game show. And the host asks if she would accept her, her son if, or I'm sorry, if she would condemn her son if he was gay. I don't like where this is going. Yeah. And she replies, yes. She says, I would condemn him because I believe that a real man must be a real man. A man has no right to be a word I'm not going to mention. She then justifies by saying two women could get together. Completely different, though. Ooh. The two men get together. Mm. Sounds like what my aunt says after like five glasses of wine. <laughs> you know there's a lot of truth to that and you know like the next thing fits that category because she tries to fix it Uh, and she says quote I have many gay friends oh no (laughs) (laughs) that's what they all say that's what they all say and then she goes on I believe that being gay is still better than being murderers thieves or drug addicts what yes So in case you're wondering, she is 100% wrong. She is 100% canceled. And we do not like Julia anymore. That is so crazy. I like Julia. So in her whole career, she profited off of the idea of like gay culture being something that she's present in. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Though she has plenty of gay friends. It's okay. Don't forget. It's okay. Oh God! That it's, is so upsetting. Bad yeah. enough she said that, but also, what kind of question is that when you're on a game show? Ukrainian game <laughs> show too. Okay. I think it's called Lie Detector. I think that's where they got her. Oh, okay, Ooh. that makes a little more sense. I'm picturing like the Price is Right type game show, yeah. and they're just like, "Hey, uh, while we're on a commercial break, <laughs> what, what would you do if your son's gay?" <laughs> Final Jeopardy. What would you do if your son's gay? <laughs> there is no wrong answer. Oh God! So anyway, that's interesting. That it it sucks. It really sucks because don't you realize that literally you've? I think when you first off, it was wrong that they co-opted queerness. I have personally a little bit of an issue with that. But on the flip side of the people who were inspired by them, like you now kind of have a burden to them to support them. You can't come crashing down their life by being a shitty human, but apparently you're just going to be a shitty human regardless. But anyway, you know, gay men are men. So yeah, period. Yep. Exactly. Sounds like the Kim Fowley of Russia. Yeah, <laughs> just I, like taking young girls and being like we're gonna sex you up and throw you out there yeah i think exactly what you said he was trying to be that he's trying to be like almost like a phil specter like i'm gonna be the Ugh. next phil specter we see how well that ended what was that yeah lou perlman yeah the lou perlman yes Ugh, those, I don't like Ivan. No. Those people. Good riddance to them. Yeah, for real. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> All of those stories. <laughs> it was. And it was also interesting. I'm glad we did it in order because it does help see the progression of women in music, you know? And um, I think everyone that we talked about sort of took a risk in their in what they were performing and what yeah. they were presenting yeah. to the world. So um, it's it was it's fascinating. I was really yeah I really enjoyed this. Well, I think I, this is. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Shanti. I was gonna just ask everybody if they have a favorite girl group. Ooh, maybe um, <sighs> if you want to do a modern one or just one of all time. I don't care. 
I would have to say L7 is my favorite girl group. I wouldn't. I guess they're not a girl group. They're like a band, mm-hmm. but they're a group, right? So they count. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Why is the only thing coming to my head is Barlow Girl? <laughs> no, don't say that. Uh, Mine uh, is the Veronicas. Ooh, that's I love a good the one. Veronicas. That's a good one. Oh, you know, I was actually going to, with the name The Chantels, I was going to be like, there's actually a couple of other girl groups who have gone on to name themselves kind of similarly. So like the Veronicas, the Donnas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Things I love like the that. Donnas as well. Yeah. yeah. They were great. So good. I'm obsessed with Heim. I do, oh, yeah, I do love them. I and think... modern one. It's hard for me because my brain just keeps defaulting back to... <laughs> to Barlow Girl? To Barlow Girl. Do you guys know who Barlow Girl is? No. No. It is a sister group that is in the CCM, which is contemporary Christian scene of the cool. 90s and 2000s. Church kids know. Church kids know. Church kids know. <laughs> Even though I'm not a church kid anymore. My, my brain is already trained to think that way. My phone still tries to play Barlow Girl sometimes. <laughs> Gray's my favorite color. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are there music? Is there music like very christian inspired or would you not know really um they're definitely one of those bands that aren't like all their lyrics aren't just like you know we praise you we praise you they're more just like here's a song that doesn't quite break any rules and your parents are gonna let you listen to it ccm (laughs) is a wild world like it's actually one of my goals to cover ccm because it's it's literally you have they're trying to compete with secular music, right? And yeah. show like, oh, we can we can do it, right? And in the nineties, it's actually like some of it's pretty good. Yeah. I'm like, damn, like you got some bangers. And then the two thousands hits and everything just starts to suck. Things get weird. Things get weird. But then you have a emergence of Christian rock bands that are a la skillet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that are just like you could you could the goal is to you could show this music to your friends and trick them so it's stupid but that's that's unfortunately the mindset and then you get the christian hardcore scene which is like f you f the world but hey i'm gonna tell you for five minutes real quick we believe in jesus christ all right f the world (laughs) (laughs) and now next crossover everybody bring your favorite christian group yes but anyway that could be a wild episode dude it it is on my list because it's just now it's just um what's crazy is a lot of the artists are leaving christianity altogether it's it's just it's a wild wild ride it's because of how the industry yeah how the industry was or they're deconstructing their whole faith and coming out as lesbian like one of my favorite artists yes (laughs) that's another one so anyway it's just a wild thing. But if I had to choose one off the top of my head, Tegan and Sarah. Oh, right on. Okay. That's great. That That's, that's my backup after... Canadian homegirls. Right yes. On. Yes. Sisters. Warp tour, Tegan and Sarah, man. I have one short Tegan and Sarah story I can tell you. They performed at a venue that I work at, and it was one of the... I've worked in venues for 15 years, and... Mm-hmm. It was a Tegan and Sarah show that I saw one of the worst violent incidences happen. Ooh. These two women just Ooh, went damn. after each oh. other, like blood. We had to call the cops. But Tegan was... and Sarah are so chill. I know. <laughs> I don't right? understand. I know. They had some they... beef with each other. 
it's yeah yeah it was an interesting and now every time i hear it again sarah i'm like i remember the visual of these that's hilarious Man, no, it's never the shows you think it's gonna. No, be. no. I mean, as someone who used to go to the hardcore scene all the time in high school and college, it's just like I expect to see a fight or two. Actually, I'd be disappointed if I didn't see a, a fight. Bloody or nose two. here yeah. and there. Yeah, but like at a chill concert, I mean, I'm coming to vibe. I'm not coming for a fight. No. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, this was well, fun, guys. Yeah, I, I loved this. This well, was so great. And it's I'm so nice so just hanging out with you guys. Yeah, right? yeah. we love you guys yes. so much. We're always trying to promote you guys when we get a chance, just because we feel like you're our podcast sisters yes. in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We love you, too. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. And I can't believe how much we've all still been doing in this last yeah. year. So I know. Wow. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Muses is researched, edited, and produced by us, Chantella Mew and Lynx O'Leary. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you, and let's make season two even more memorable together.